here we are in day one of Pathways Prime, and each year we call it Pathways, and then we uh, give it a subtitle of, of something. Last um, year was Shift, the year before that was Moving Along the Path. This year is Prime, and <clears throat> Prime is a uh, thing that, that if you're a, a math major or a mathematician, you you know that, that prime numbers are numbers that are only divisible by themselves and the number one. And in some convention somewhere, someone decided that uh, the number one is actually not a prime number, but, you know, every organization has its quirks, right? So uh, we, we introduced uh, a logo, uh, uh, two logos over the past two weeks that are really going to illustrate our time and our journey together as we look at the primal things, the, the, the base elements that we as followers of Christ, we as a church and we as a local church are living out. What are those prime things? Now, the first logo that we looked at was the, the arrow that you've been familiar with. And this represents that we are to make, mature, and mobilize, three, prime number, fully devoted followers of Christ. So we are to everything that we do, moving together to this, this point of, of helping to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. And then we talked about what is a fully devoted follower of Christ. Well, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, actually, a fully devoted follower of Christ is someone who loves God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all of their uh, strength, and love others as themselves. And that encapsulates what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ if you do those things, if you love God, holistically love God, and if you love people. And Jesus says everything else comes from this idea. All the other laws, all the, all the, uh, the sayings of the prophet lead us back to this. Now that's what we are to do as, as followers of Christ that we have, and, and as a church of Jesus Christ in this world. That all churches and all followers of Christ are called to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of him and that to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and love others as yourself. But as we talked about last week, that local churches, each local church has a different personality, just like you have a different personality than the person that you are sitting next to, that all churches kind of live this out in different ways. And that's over the next seven weeks, we're going to be really talking about the seven unique values that make us us and those are intentional culturally current hospitality authenticity relational grace and excellence and we came up with a little logo to help us remember what those things are and there's a seven that because there's seven of them. And then we made kind of like this stylized I uh, because the first one starts with I. 
And then if you look at all the first letters of all the seven different values, it actually spells I charge. And it kind of looks like a little guy, right, who, who's charging toward this goal of making, maturing, and mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ. So today we're actually going to be talking about intentionality. Like what, what does intentional mean? What does it look like? Scripturally, in the Bible, how has this value been played out? And trying to understand what, you know, what this encompasses. Now, intentional is actually, I believe, out of the, the seven values that we have at our church, that this is the hardest one to live out. Because when you are intentional, you have to tell good people who have good ideas, no. That's really, really hard to do. I read one time that uh, from uh, uh, in, in a book that that you know what you can spend your whole life doing good things but miss the best thing. And I've kind of changed that into our culture and our time. And I believe that we could spend our whole life doing good things and miss the best thing. And that is what. Christ has called us to do. We could miss the life that God envisioned for you and I to experience. Because the reality is, when you say yes to the good things, when you say to yes to good people with good ideas, that what you're actually saying is no to the best thing, because all of us just have a finite amount of time. And if you look at the most successful people and the most successful organizations in the world, that they are very intentional about what they do. And here at E3, that we want to be extremely intentional in what we do, and that is to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. If it doesn't make, mature, or mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ, then you know what? That is not what we've been called to do. This is, that is not the thing that God has envisioned for us. If it doesn't encourage or equip people to love God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all of their strength, and to love others as themselves, that it is outside of our scope. So us trying to be intentional in everything that we do. Now, Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and you may want to Turn your Bibles there. We're going to be there uh, for the remainder of our time together. And in verse 19, he writes this. He says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. And here he, he really outlines kind of this, this dichotomy of words and, and imagery. He says, look, I am, a, I am a free man. I have freedom in Christ. He's saying, look, I, am, I have salvation, that, that my salvation is secure. And in, in intentionality and in what Paul's talking about, he's not talking about salvation. He's actually talking about living out the life that God has envisioned for him and encouraging us to live out the life that God has envisioned for us. And he's saying, look, number one, I'm a free man. I have no master. But he says, look, I become 
a slave to all people. This is his choice, is to become a slave. Now, you may be looking there and saying, I don't know if I've ever been sitting around and as a free person and just say, I mean, I'm going to make myself a slave today. That sounds like a cool thing, having people boss me around and I be under their thumb and things like that. No, there's something going on here. There's a reason that he is, be, is a free man with all of those rights and privileges of being a free man, but he is going to give up that freedom and become a slave for one intentional reason. And he says that intentional reason is to bring people to Christ. He is willing to give up his freedom and become a slave to everyone in order to earn the relational right to speak truth into somebody's life and to be able to present the gospel, the good news that God loves people, that he's willing to give up his freedom in order to introduce people into that relationship. And he kind of unpacks it in verse 20. He says, look, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ. I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. And he kind of has this idea here is you have the law. There were 613 laws of Moses that the Jews um, followed. And the Jewish people were under this law. Now this this whole idea of the the law is the same kind of uh, theme that is in all religions except Christianity. And the idea is that somehow, some way that you and I, if we're good enough, if we're smart enough, if we're disciplined enough, that somehow that we could work our way into God's favor. If I follow all 16, 613 laws, if I follow them close enough, somehow God will smile on me. Same thing with Islam, same thing with uh, uh, Hinduism, all these kind of things. If we live out some sort of, of, of way we live our life, somehow we will earn God's favor. And what Paul's saying here is, you know what? I am willing to become a slave to, to follow these rules, not because the rules are going to get me to God, but it will connect people, that I will be able to connect with people in order to to help them understand that, you know what, a relationship with the one true God, a relationship with Jesus Christ is not about the rules, but it is about spending time in the presence and being changed by that connection with the one almighty, powerful God. And this is what he's saying. Now, in, in our context, you know, the religious rulers of the day happen to be Jewish. But 
There's tons of religious organizations out there. There's tons of religions out there that, that today are the equivalent of, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were the Jewish religious rulers of the day. And they have gotten, they have lost the idea of loving God and loving people as the primary focus in life, of seeking out having a relation, right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And they have elevated the 16, 613 laws or other laws that were meant to assist people in discovering who God is and that he loves them. And what Paul is saying here is, you know what? There's at times, if you, if you have religious people in your life, if there's people who, who are inundated with religion and they do not know God, but the, all they know is the religion, the law, and the, and the rules, and the, the must-dos in their life, that, you know what, in order to introduce them to a loving God, to introduce them into a relationship, in order to build a relational right with them, that, you know what, there's... there's Going to be, there may be things that you have to limit. Even though you're free to do them, you'll have to limit them in your life. Because if you don't, these, they will never be able to see you as a person that they can trust. Now, on the other side of it, he said, Look, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So he has this idea of, of the Gentiles, we'll call them the G, and they're not under the law. That basically, you know, they, they live for themselves, that they're kind of the polar opposite of living under the law, that that they're engaging maybe in hedonism or just you know seeking out just things that will make this life more palatable. And you say, look, when I'm with them, that I am going to connect with them on their level. And what I'm not going to do, he says, is I'm, I'm not going to violate the law of Christ, which is to love God holistically and to love people i'm not going to violate that but you know what there are things that are in the law that that you know what i'm not going to adhere to i may not do the ceremonial hand washing i you know may in in our context you know i i may go and uh have a glass of wine at dinner with with some people who i'm trying to introduce uh, to the love of Christ, where you would probably not do that with somebody of a, of a more religious nature. And this week, uh, I was hanging out with some guys, and, and they were asking me about our church and things like that, and they, they don't go to church, and they were thinking about investigating it, and, um, and they had a drink in their hand, and, and they said, hey, you know, if I come to your church, you know, can I, can I have a beer, Bill? And I'm like, as long as you share, probably, you know, yeah, you know, it is this kind of idea that, you know what, I would say that to them, 
but I would never, I would never have said that to a uh, somebody who was steeped in religion, because there it just it's not an authenticity issue. It's it's uh, meeting people where where they are at, and you know, in in one regard, you know, you have the religious who believe in a God, but on the other hand, you have people who you know maybe are not too sure about the whole God thing, but. Uh, and in their mind, you know what? The, the introduction of God is just an introduction to a bunch of rules. And where you get to say to both of them, it's not about the rules or not obeying the rules. It's, it's about connecting and interweaving your life with the creator of the universe. And he goes on to say, he goes, look, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. What Paul is saying here is, you know what? There are people who are very religious, whose weakness is exposed by their, their adherence to the law. And he's saying, look, if I'm connecting with those who need the law because they are not, they are not solid enough in their, in their relationship with Christ, that if they absolutely have to have this law, that I am not going to violate that. I'm going to meet them on their level. But... Also, if somebody is, you know, just using the, the alcohol uh, expression, if somebody is, uh, who is just seeking out God and, and who, you know, having one beer is, is too many and, and, and 12 is not enough, you know what, meeting them where they're at and encouraging them to transcend their addiction into that substance. So you have this idea that, you know what, it all comes down to, it doesn't, it's not law or it's not perceived freedom for Paul and for us here at E3. It's not that that matters. What matters is why we are doing it. Are we intentionally living out our lives and connecting people in a, with, in a meaningful and understandable way and respecting them, loving them so much that we are willing to limit our freedom or become a slave to them and their needs and their weakness in order that they can hear the gospel in a meaningful and understandable way. So, he goes on and he says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? He's starting to use a metaphor here. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And in the church of, in, in, in Corinth, 
Uh, this was a Greek state and then uh, later taken over by the Roman Empire by the time that Paul was there. And in Corinth, they had twice every four years, once one year before the Olympics and one year after the Olympics, Corinth would shut down for a race called the Isthmusen. And they would, they would do several different events. There would be chariot racing, there would be boxing, there would be wrestling, and there was also the most popular was the foot race. And basically, the, these games were, were not just a, a thing of amusement, that this was life. That it was all-encompassing, it was their passion to, to attend or participate in these games. The only closest equivalent that I can come up with would be like the FSU Gator game, right? A home game. And, you know, just everything shuts down in Tallahassee, right? That, that everybody wants to be there, that... that that Bradley sausage is sold out of every pig product. You know, I can't find a pig anywhere because they're all on somebody's barbecue. You know, all of this kind of thing, that it is all-encompassing and, and people were wrapped up in it. So Paul is taking this, this, this idea, this culturally current idea, little plug for next week, and, and speaking into it at a higher level. Level, Because he knew that everyone was all about the Ismethian. And so what he said was, look, don't you realize that in, every, that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that'll fade away. Now, what would basically happen here is, unlike an FSU Gator game, if you were a Greek or a Roman citizen, you could participate with one catch. You would have to essentially stop your life for 10 months. And you would have to subject yourself to professional, rigorous training that you would have to give up, you know, all the yummy food that was in Corinth, whatever Corinthians ate, but I'm sure it was big and good and meaty and stuff like that. And you would have to eat this restricted diet. You couldn't drink. You couldn't, you know, do all the kind of things that everyone else was for one reason, to train for this race. And if you said, you know what, I want to be in this race, that that's what you would do that your life for almost a year would be turned upside down and every waking moment of every single day would be focused on learning to run to achieve the prize. Now, if you were in this race and you did win, you know what you'd win? You would win a leafy hat, like a reef, that you would put on your, your head. And I don't know if, you know, like, foliage and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it probably has bugs and all that kind of stuff in here. So you basically give up a, a year of your life to have this, this leafy hat that what? 
like would last maybe a day or two before it just kind of started rotting and smelling bad and, you know, leaf juice running down your face. You know, and really how practical is a leaf hat either? You know, you think about, about these kind of things, but people would do this in order so they could win a prize that would fade away. And Paul here is saying, but we run this race, not salvation, but running the race to live the life that God had envisioned for us. We do this to win an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not like, uh, I am not just shadow boxing. Or in another translation, I, I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. You know, when I... When I box, I'm going to break your nose, you know? <laughs> He's like, he goes on, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. So this whole idea that, you know what? Free men and women were allowed to compete in these games. Nobody told them or forced them it wasn't like gladiators. This was a sport for free people in that they would limit their freedom in order to achieve a prize. Now, it's kind of interesting. The, I, I love the imagery that, that Paul's using here because it was so real to people living in Corinth. You see, they would build this track and from one end to the other, it was 606 feet. That is about two football fields. And you would have the starting line here. And it was built on a hillside where you would have stadium seating up here so everybody could watch it. And the imagery is using here is this idea of all of these people who have disciplined themselves for the past 10 months get to come in front of their community in order to achieve a prize. And the cool thing about the track here is that there were three pillars that the, that the runners could see as they ran along. And they were set there to every 200 feet to mark their progress. The first one was written on it, Excel. Excel have two L's or one? One, okay, that's right. You know, you, sometimes you look at things up here and it doesn't look right. Okay, Excel. So the first one, you know, you're, you're taking off on the race, right? You're running along and 200 feet into it that, that you have this, this pillar, this, this reminder that, you know what, I need to excel. I need to push on. I need to run this race. And really at 200 feet, you're probably like, Okay, that's good. That's, that's a good reminder, but you're not really hurting yet. You're just reminded that, hey, you know what? I'm running this race for a reason. I am running this race to achieve a prize. I've given the last year of my life to train for this event. The next one read 
hasten. Now you're 400 feet into the race and you're running along and at 400 feet, you're probably starting to get winded that you're kind of settling in and this idea that it reminds you, this visual representation of saying, hasten your step, hurry. Time is of the essence. Kind of like Lance Armstrong would say this, suffering is temporary, victory is forever. That this idea of hasten your step and move forward. And then the final one, which is my favorite, turn. (laughs) Don't run into the wall. This is not the finish line. You need to turn and come back. And the great imagery here is then as you're coming back, once again, you see the same encouragement. Hasten. You're almost there. Keep pushing. And you get to hear, excel. Excel the last 200 feet to victory. And as you look at this this imagery that was so real to the people in Corinth, that this was something that their lives were all about and all wrapped up in, that, that they would know, while Paul is talking about this, the, the higher level, the higher level of understanding, the elevated kind of metaphor that he's using for the Christian life. And I love how it, it's going around and, and what it communicates. Those of us who are on our spiritual journey, now remember this is not a salvation issue. This is what we are talking about as far as just living our lives as fully devoted followers of Christ. As we we take off and we're going and, and working toward making, maturing, and mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ, and, and we're running along, we're told to hasten because you know things are urgent, that Christ is coming back. And we get to this this pillar, it's turn. And in the Christian faith, why do you think that that is important? Why is that significant? And I think that it's significant when you look at it because, you know what? The American church has forgotten where the finish line is. That I have lots of uh, pastor friends and I see communication that, that they use the verbiage, you know what, invite an unchurched friend to church next week. Or, you know what, this city is two-thirds unchurched. We need to what? The idea, church them. And I'm like thinking about that as like church people. Like, I've given my life to the local church. But... What does that mean to church somebody? Like, it sounds kind of painful. <laughs> like, well, what, is, what does that mean in, in, in the traditional sense of being churched? Well, I would think, well, maybe that means I sit in a pew or a chair for one hour a week, that I go to a potluck once in a while, that maybe I sit on a committee which we learned last week is a 
bunch of vultures looking to feed off decaying bodies? Is that the idea of being churched? Is that the, the finish line? Is, hey, you know what? I get saved here and I end up in the church and my, my goal in life is to get other people to be churched. And I think in this, this metaphor that Paul is saying, wait a second, church is the halfway point. That's not the end of the race. Turn, turn, turn. What does that turn look like? Well, that turn looks like, you know what? We talked about a couple of weeks ago, the difference between immaturity and maturity is the difference between being a consumer and a contributor. This is, you want to know if you're mature or immature in a relationship or in an organization or something? Well, do you contribute to that relationship or organization or do you consume? Now, it's okay to be immature. All of us have been immature uh, at one point in our life, but the goal is not to stay immature. And I would say at this point, when we hit this pillar, that this is the turning point between being immature and mature. The turning point from being a consumer to a contributor. And as you round this corner and you turn, you know what? This hasten and this excel takes on all sorts of different meanings. As we were coming out, it was talking about moving yourself to being made and then matured into a fully devoted follower of Christ. But as we turn around that last pillar, that we are to mobilize, that we are start to breathe life into people and encourage them to make that turn, to grow them to a place where they can see that pillar and make that turn and to run with purpose with every step toward the eternal prize. And you know what ends here? Is you get to stand in front of your Creator someday and prayerfully hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. This last week, um, Martha Hannah's father passed away, and they shared with me a moment. He had been following Christ his whole life, and he'd been investing in people, making material and mobilizing people his whole life. He's in his 80s, and he's laying on the hospital bed. In this picture of, of him and his wife, and they've been married for many, many decades. That he's sitting there and he's got tears in his eyes. And she looks at her husband and said, 
you have been preparing your whole life for this moment. And I cannot come with you right now, but I will be with you soon. And as he slipped away at that moment, Michael and Martha said that they could just feel the power of God. And I think if you were quiet enough, you would have heard Terrell hear those words. Good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You saw the pillar that said, turn, and you changed your whole life. And at the memorial service, it was a time of celebration where person after person after person spoke about the impact that this man had in their life. The goal is not to be churched. The goal is to be unchurched. and to impact the world around us. You guys pray with me? Dear Lord, thank You for metaphors and imagery. You compel me to want to live life bigger than myself to move from being a consumer to a contributor, to breathe life into people. God, thank You for this place and I give You the next 50 days as we charge like rhinos. As we charge to the goal of being fully devoted followers of You. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.